Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Crickets Lounge. I admit we have been away for almost a month and uh, things have been relatively slow, uh, but that's partly my doing because I was away for a long, long time. Um, we are back now and today I have Sandeep and Shonak with me where we catch up with the news and events from the cricketing world, the recent series, the results, uh, talking points and other interesting bits and pieces over the last month. And due to time constraints, obviously we haven't been able to touch up on every single cricket series that has taken place. Uh, but we do talk predominantly about the Bore Gavaskar Trophy and some of the things that either we liked or didn't like. And uh, we just take it from there. A big uh, shout out to Jared Kimber and his recent episode with Abhishek Chopra on the history of the Mankad dismissal. And if none of you have heard it or listened to it so far that is one episode that i would highly highly encourage and recommend so please sit back relax and enjoy our usual rants about the game i suppose um have fun welcome shona again sandeep uh, thanks for joining me today i appreciate you spending your time with me on a sunday evening when probably either of us have got nothing better to do Sunday morning for Sunday morning for yeah, me. Sunday morning for you. Yes, well, I think you can do quite a lot on the Sunday morning, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. true. Uh, as yeah. for me, there's the game going on, but now I rather enjoy some podcasting and then go back to watching the game later. Fantastic. So I, I wasn't aware that this game was on. Woke up to find out that India was seven down for 94 runs, which. Uh, they did come as a bit surprised to me, but uh, you know, in the four weeks that. I had been away and we haven't been able to catch up. There has been an absolute, you know, I was going to say shit done, but uh, there has been an absolute Let huge, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that there has been a huge, huge amount of cricket. There was, you know, obviously the India Australia test series, which was the big event. Then there was England, Bangladesh, there was New Zealand, Sri Lanka, which is going on. There was the West Indies, South Africa one. Mm. Bangla Bangladesh, Ireland is happening now. The Women's World Cup has finished. Women's IPL has started. Uh, the ICC World Cricket League 2 has been going on. Uh, the Hong Kong Quadrangular took place. PSL took place. And then there was the Americas qualifier. So there has been a really huge, huge amount of cricket. And obviously, you know, no, nobody's going to watch all of these things. But uh, given the fact that we live in an internet age and we get access to scorecards, you know, it's nice to at least just keep tabs on what's been going on. And while I'm speaking, India has just been all out for 117. Mitchell Stark gets that last say. weekend. <laughs> so it looks like it's an easy victory for Australia and one nil, uh, one all. They're going to draw the series one all now. Yeah. Sango, so is this only two one days? No, three. Three. Oh, okay. There is one more. Chennai. Chennai is the last one. Now, I have a question. Honest question over here. Two one days they hold at Chennai and Mumbai. Shouldn't they have held the test matches there instead? You want to take it first, Sandeep? I'll go later. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. I mean, why why are they playing at Vankade and at Chidambaram Stadium for one-day matches and uh, not the other way around is something I don't understand. Uh, all these small centres. Uh, that too far is important series like Australia versus India. I think uh, they should go with uh, Eden Gardens and Chennai, uh, Bangalore and uh, Bombay, I think. So, 
Um, <laughs> well, I don't know how the PCC works out these things, but uh, that's where we are. And uh, I mean, the quality of the wickets were also quite uh, appalling, I would say, for the test matches, uh, at least in these uh, uh, bigger cities, you would get uh, good wickets. And uh, that's how it should be, I think. I mean, for important cities, you should play uh, the test matches in the big cities rather than uh, smaller ones. Yeah, it used to be a time, isn't it, yeah. when the test matches were held at the major test venues or the cricket venues, and then the smaller towns like Indore, Gwalior, Vizag, uh, Kattak, or, you know, yeah, even Guwahati. Yeah, they the one-dayers. I remember that yeah. growing up. Yeah. yeah, and that way, you know, the one-day circus could then move around, whereas the tests remained at some of the established uh, cricket centers, so to speak. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with you, definitely agree with you both. For me, I guess it's like more signs that white ball cricket is slowly and slowly taking over the importance, like even in India, um, you know, which is basically, you can call it the home of cricket now, <laughs> how crazy people are, uh, not just India, like the whole subcontinent. But I find it baffling, the, the the venues that they chose and how unprepared they are, because, you know, it's a, supposed to, it's a massive series, right? It's a high-profile series. People are paying attention, and I don't get how they could be so unprofessional with regards to the venue change at the last minute and then dishing out that terrible surface in indoor. And also the state of some of the stadiums is shocking because, see, test cricket is held during the day. And India is having an early summer because, you know, even, even in Gujarat, when they had the test, it was in the high 30s. I think one could argue at least that Gujarat is a more, uh, Ahmedabad is a modern stadium and that uh, disregarding the politics of whole politics of it, because that's, you know, that's a whole another podcast by itself. But you could argue that spectator comfort there is not so bad because it's got covers and stuff. But I don't know, like the ground in indoor... Uh, the ground that ground in Delhi now that's still shocking so I think a lot more investment needs to be made by BCCI on the grounds and a lot more planning needs to be done so that people are aware of where the fixtures are happening so that you know people can buy tickets I think the fans are put last the way I see it you know like Indian fans who are crazy about cricket they will still show up and watch but they are being very badly treated and shortchanged that is actually very spot on Trying to get tickets for any of these games is such a hassle. Um, I remember there were a few games in Pune where I really wanted to go and watch. But there were no designated outlets where you could buy tickets from. Tickets were only available via two banks. I think Bank of India was one and one was uh, Maharashtra Industrial Bank or something like that. And... Now, you know how public sector banks are in India. You know, they function and come across as if you owe them everything. Mm. So they'll be like, hey, we only sell between 10 and 2. So if you want, come between these times or not. Then what happens is because each state cricket association has member clubs or divisions, a lot of the games are allocated to these clubs first. And then whatever is left, then comes to the general public. So if you have a 30,000-seater stadium, the chances of you like having access to a certain quota of tickets, it probably is only about five to 7,000. Everything else is pre-booked for these member associations. 
and, and that's how it works. It is really, really difficult. When the IPL uh, first started, sorry, just to interrupt you, Saka, and that's what happened in Gujarat and Ahmedabad, didn't it? Because I think the first day they were trying to go for a record crowd, uh, they fell a lot short of that. And then the crowds on days two, three, and four, and even five were not that good, actually. I mean, like, see, may, maybe you can argue that uh, as test cricket has lost that uh, popularity that it once used to hold um, outside even the purists. Uh, the crowds are going down. Okay, that's fine. But I don't know the way they were hyping up the test and like, you know, about records being broken. They only got like 20,000 or so in, in the last couple of days at that test. But that's yeah. partly because Ahmedabad is not a traditionally cricket crazy city. You know, mm. you look at Chennai, you look at Mumbai, uh, Bangalore even now, and then maybe Calcutta. So you yes. will get people over there. Hmm. Ahmedabad, you're not going to get a lot of people watching a test match. And I think the curator did his damnedest best to sort of make sure that that test lasted five days. But then <laughs> uh, sometimes you know, some incentives match. don't work. Yeah. yeah. And they also had, did that same allocation thing. That's what I was going to say. Like in Gujarat, right? Uh, in Ahmedabad, they did the whole allocation thing, didn't they? Whereas they set aside a certain amount of tickets for... I don't know, political people or members or party members or something in the on the first day. I don't know how it worked on the other days, but uh, I don't know. It was just the whole, yeah, once again, leaving aside the politics, like it just looked bad. Anyway, so there's going to be a lot of talking points, given that we are going to touch upon a lot of the cricket that's taken place in the last month. What were the main standout points for you guys from the India, the Border Gavaskar Trophy? Yeah, the thing that struck out was the quality of the pitches was really bad. Um, I think you could guess Nagpur as close to acceptable. Um, and then it was Australia's ineptitude with batting and their crazy decision to sweep everything like that. That caused them the test. Um, Delhi as well was possible, I guess. Like, although I would prefer better pitches. But the indoor one was shocking. And then the Ahmedabad one for me was really bad as well, but for the different reason that it was too flat. And there was basically, it was a slow, boring pitch with no, barely any contest between bat and ball. So the but that pitches, was the greenest of the lot, isn't it? Yes. So, yeah, the pitches for me, yeah, that was one of the main talking points. And unfortunately, because of that, you know, it, it overshadowed a lot of what the cricket um, that took place on the field. And when you look at the first three tests, they all lasted very few days. They were all over within three days or even less. And the indoor, not indoor, uh, which was the first one? The Nagpur one. Even though that looked really sketchy, you know, with the zone outside the offhand or left-handers mm. off stump. You know, I thought that that was taking it a notch too far because using pitches that favor home conditions... Nobody has issues with that because everybody will have home everybody conditions that favor it. them, right? And there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong in using it to your advantage. But specifically designing a track like that, you know, that, that is a very cheap way of trying to stack the odds in your team's favor. Because can you imagine, maybe 10 years down the line, statistic and analysis in cricket is so advanced that you have metrics for each player as to which are their uh, scoring zones. And if you bowl... 
a certain length and a certain line, you know, whether or not they are as much in control as other shots. And say, for example, what's then to identify who are the two, three main batters in the opposing team and then tailoring the pitch so that, you know, you have only that five to six meter length where there is grass and then everything else is rough. And then you instruct your bowlers to bowl accordingly. Th that, that is just too much. And I don't think there is any honor in winning like that. Yeah, the ICC needs to also step in at a certain point. I'm glad that they were brave enough to uh, report the indoor pitches poor. And I've, you know, I've just looked at the news and apparently BCCI is challenging that. I don't know if you guys happen to see that one. Yeah, yeah, they are. The Man, if, if yeah. Pakistan can get away with reversing that decision on Rawalpindi, <laughs> why shouldn't BCCI do this? No, seriously. They have you know, run the ICC anyway. Yeah, and you know there has been a precedent set not ten years ago, but this very year, just two months ago, Pakistan got away with that. So obviously, like if I was in charge of BCCI, I'd definitely appeal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which but, you know I just mean, stresses the. Uh, sorry, uh, go ahead, Sandeep. Uh, no, you go ahead. I'll come later. Hmm. I was okay, just going to say, which stresses the point that like the pitch rating, that whole system needs to be kept independent, and also you need to remove the the challenge process, or I don't know, like just have a different, better process where like the integrity and the whole independence of the pitch rating process is, you know, it's still there. You make the ICC like a true governing organization rather than a members club. Yeah, it's a, it's a dream. It's a dream. Isn't it? <laughs> like imagine you living in a housing society and where all the members take the decision of whether or not we should paint the exterior of the uh, buildings this year. Hmm. You know, that's what it is. Like most people, we, uh, nah, we don't need to. Why are we wasting money on this? Whereas if it was the council... Council says, no, nah, you got to spruce up your property because, you know, your roof is leaking and your paint job sucks. Correct. So it's bits and pieces like that. But even then, you know, having backup options, it just goes to show that you need to be prepared for situations where maybe your preferred venue on the itinerary doesn't go ahead. Like if you knew maybe even three weeks in advance that the Dharmashala ground wasn't going to host a match and that you'd have to um, conduct it elsewhere. Why not pick up grounds where you know that crickets go played regularly over there and they will have the square prepared nice and early rather than a place like in, uh, Indore. You know, I'm not slagging off Indore as a city or a town, but it's not a major hub of cricket. They probably prepare their pitches twice a year just for the Ranji games because no other major matches are organized over there. Mm. So, you know, having that foresight or even a sensible backup plan, you know, like if your son's first birthday party can't be held at the Ritz, you're not going to go to the local Wadapa truck guy, are you, as a backup option? Yeah. Uh, I, I think we should become like England and Australia in this, isn't it? We are almost sure where the test matches are when it comes to Australia and England. Uh, uh, there is no surprises. Uh, so, and the, the, the wickets will be well prepared as well. So, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, India can go to these small towns for to host these sort of uh, important matches, really. Is there a bidding process in England, Sandeep? I'm just wondering how the ECB decides. Uh, I think in England, I think a lot get a gets a test every year. But the other centres, um, 
they rotate. I mean, the, uh, one of them is out every year. Uh, if Headingley misses out this year, they get it next year. Uh, like that, uh, Old Trafford misses out one year. Uh, it's like that, but Lords get uh, gets a test every year. Um, uh, so that's how it works. Uh, but there are only five or six uh, test playing centres in England. Uh, there is Lords, Old Trafford, Birmingham, uh, uh, Chesterley Street, and Cardiff, and Headingley. So and Nottingham. So they rotate among these uh, uh, these venues. So it's almost certain that where the uh, uh, test matches are going to be mostly mm. down to facilities. See, in England, it's fine because England is geographically a very small area, and mm. Australia can afford to do so because Australia only has got seven cities. Yeah, and no yeah. one lives in the middle. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Whereas yeah. in oh. India, you have a lot of these cricket hubs, and if you notice that ever since, you know, pretty much like the early 2000s where you had Dhoni, Suresh Rena, Praveen Kumar, Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, all these guys spring up from non-mainstream cricket areas in India, you know, that there is a need to be able to spread the game around there. But I, I think that when it comes to test matches, hold them at the major, like identify at least eight, ten venues and say these are where we will have test matches and everybody will get a test match every second year or something. Un unless we have enough visiting teams coming into India so that we can spread it around. Yeah, that makes sense to me because, you know, tests in general, like you need people to be really in, into the game to attend. Uh, whereas the casual fan is like more willing to attend a one day or a T20. So it actually makes sense. Like, um, you know, identifying eight or ten major grounds where you know the crowds are going to turn up, where the atmosphere is going to be good, and where like the curators are experienced enough that they put out decent pitches. Um, that now yeah, that's a good idea. And then with the one day and T20, you can spread that around because yeah, India, as you said, it's a huge country with so many different cities, and you have to take the game around. Like the whole northeastern side of India, you know, that's underdeveloped for cricket. But that's a whole other conversation. But um, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. that okay. So moving on, the other point I wanted to make was the strength of Indian bowling. India does not need to prepare all these rank turners just to make sure that, you know, our bowlers get 20 wickets in a game because that is just nonsense. You look at that Ahmedabad page, it's absolutely flat road that mm. was rolled on. And the Indian bowlers did much better than the Australian ones. Also, Indian quick bowlers, the seam bowlers, did better than the Australian seam bowlers across all the four test matches. I was just going to say, like, Shami was nearly unplayable in some of the test games. And it's because, like, he, he attacks the stumps, and that's what you need to do in the subcontinent. to, to Even Umesh did well. So, mm. you know, it's not just Shami, but even Umesh did well. So when you have a bowling, like, your bowlers who are as good as that, you, you really don't need to get into this whole thing about home conditions and pitch doctoring and stuff like that. In fact, if you remember, like the ones where they prepared this rank turner, that they lost this match against Australia. And they that was in Pune had... in 2017. No, no, but this one as well, the one in oh, indoor. This one, yeah, indoor. Yeah, indoor. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Then there was Pune as well. And then there was the Mumbai Test match against England in, was it 2014? Yes, yes. Wasn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. It, that, that, yeah. So every time they've tried to doctor the conditions to 
uh, assist it, it, the it, homegrown spinners, it has backfired because the has. batters just cannot play spin as well as they used to do. And I don't care what anyone else says and throws whatever statistics in my face. It's not about runs and averages to spinners, but it's about how you play those deliveries. Like the way in which whether you get onto the front foot or you play it off the back foot, how assured you are against spin. I mean, most of these guys I just see and they just plonk their front foot and they just plonk their bat in. That's it. And that is why you're getting a lot more, I won't say LBWs, but you're getting a fair few bat pad catches, which many Indian batters hardly ever used to. Yeah. Shall I talk a bit about the pitches? I mean, uh, first of all, why does Nagpur get to host uh, Border Gavaskar Trophy every time? That's one, one thing I don't understand. Maybe there's a special place. <laughs> <laughs> there's always an India-Australia match in Nagpur for some or, reason. Or maybe the curators, they're more willing to listen to BCC. I don't know. Like <laughs> They can be bought off easier, maybe. Yeah. They did bring them off in 2004 or something, isn't it, when <laughs> they prepared a green top. Uh, yeah, so it was, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I mean, with regard to the pitches, yeah, the quality was pretty bad. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, did it really uh, matter in the with regard to outcome of the series? I don't think so. I think uh, the series would have ended probably the same scoreline, uh, regardless of the uh, kindness of pitch. Yeah, more bad. or less. I think a lot yeah. of us were expecting a three-one victory in India's favor. Uh, yes. If the Ahmedabad pitch wasn't, you know, as flat as it turned out to be, then chances are we don't know what may have happened over there. And this is something like really weird. Last year when England played in Ahmedabad, it was an absolute raging turner from day one. And hmm. this time around, they just rolled an absolute flat deck. So, yeah. you know, it's not like the soil condition is different or suddenly the climate conditions are different. No, it's the same thing. So, you know the groundsman can actually prepare a good pitch. So why not yeah. just let them get on and do their job? Yeah. I mean, you could also argue that Australia could have won the Series 2-1. I mean, the Delhi Test match, if they played sensibly in the second knock, <laughs> probably they were, they were they, I mean, at the end of day two, they were uh, they were ahead of us. I mean... Yeah, and, and then they had a really bad session and threw it away. Absolutely terrible, the batting from performance, and then that changed everything. So even if they had a 200 or 225 to defend, I think it would have been very hard for India to get that score. So uh, Yeah, but also don't forget the rare guard action by Akshar Patel as well. You know, he, yeah, he absolutely. played yes. really interesting. That was valuable. Yeah, he was yeah. really yeah. impressive. And again, mm -hmm. once again, notice how the lower middle order has always come to the rescue of the team and the top order has failed once again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I was a bit dubious about playing Akshar ahead of uh, Kuldeep, but I think as the series went through, I realized that uh, no matter uh, how many... I mean, whenever you bowl three spinners, the third spinner is always underbowled in India, isn't it? It's usually Ashwin and... Uh, Jadeja, who do the bulk of the bowling, and the third spinner is there just uh, to fill a few overs in, and that's what Akshar like did. But, his, but his, the other or someone, yeah, that's right. But Akshar, Akshar did that, but his batting came in very handy. Uh, uh, so that way, I think Akshar's selection was justified, really. Yeah, you know, when Bhavan and I we did the episode 
like previewing the series, that was one of the things we discussed. That ideally, yeah. if you know that your batters are going to perform, you will go for a fifth bowler who is a proper bowler and can get you those wickets. But yeah. you know, India will go for Akshar knowing that their top order is very brittle and they need that insurance policy over there. And I think that is yeah. why Akshar played ahead of uh, Kuldeep. Yeah, it's also handy that India has two other spinners who are also very good with the bat, like Jadeja, you know, he was really good in the in the towards the beginning. And Ashwin is always consistent, like, even though he may not get big scores, he always gets a 20-30, which is very valuable, like coming in from number eight. Yeah, I think we have one of the best number seven, eight, and nine in the in the whole world at the moment. I think. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. um, yeah. you know, when was the last time you saw that batting lineup and went, "Oh, India's got batsmen up till nine. Mm. No, no, yeah, no. It's, it, I, I, like it's been. I, I don't think there has ever been a time where you know that India's got reliable batters all the way till nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to say, you know what the scary thing is for opposition? Um, India could do better because Bharat was playing and Pant was injured. Imagine Pant in that lineup, especially at home. And especially on those turning tracks, you know, where a, a quick counter-attacking 35 would have made a big difference. Mm. But, you know, yeah. I was just going to say, like, for me, bottom line is it's BCCI's responsibility because, you know, they are promoting cricket. That's their role in India. And it's their responsibility to create balanced pitches, which ensures that there's an actual proper contest between bat and ball and that people you know, enjoy the product because they're selling the product, which is cricket. And to me, they fell short of that. Although I guess, you know, to some Indian cricket fans, they don't care. Maybe they just want to see India win. But uh, that that was my observation. Yeah, but see, it is BCCI. It's not BCPI. You know, it's not Board of uh, Promotion for Cricket in India or BPCI. <laughs> so you know, it doesn't fall. In. You know, if if BCCI really wanted to promote cricket, you would see a lot more programs at grassroots levels, and you would see much more organized pathways for people to get not only to the national side but even the state side and you'd have like really good facilities for all of these places i mean the point you made about delhi delhi that ground that pitch has been just like that pretty much since the 90s that i can remember you know those really jaded looking concrete stands i think they might have added chairs recently and they renamed the stadium to arun jaitley stadium but yeah, it hasn't no really done in the sun yeah yeah there's nothing nothing over there and that that is sad because you know delhi used to be a, one of the major centers for cricket in the country along with bombay and uh, bangalore and Delhi oh, is Chennai. the capital, yeah, Bombay, you know? Chennai, actually. Yeah, forget yeah. everything, but Delhi is the capital. It's, it's supposed to be the premier city in India. Like, it shouldn't have mm. that stadium. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, have you seen Canberra Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Canberra Stadium is actually not that bad. Like, they have a yeah. very big ground. It's, the ground, it's, the stadium isn't that great, but the pitch I like. Because it's the and the size is huge, you know. So you have yeah, Manuka Oval. It's yeah. not. It's not a bad. It's not a bad cricket ground. But like, like yeah. I said, you know, it's not the premium ground in the country. Although, if you compare, I guess the populations of Delhi and Canberra, like there's a huge difference. As in, Delhi actually feels yeah. like a capital, where Canberra just seems like, oh, you know, we just don't want to have everything in Sydney. 
the parliament buildings in Canberra. I yeah, think you I mean, could like Canberra, Canberra is the capital, but it's not a prestigious city, really, is it, compared to Melbourne? No, and population-wise, it's not even in the top five. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Top six, even. <laughs> yeah, basically, the fact that it's a capital city, I don't think that has any weightage. Anyway, but let's let's move on. There was this one little comment that I wanted to highlight, uh, mm. because, you know, our uh, captain, Mr. Rohit Sharma, mentioned something after the series was over and i will read that verbatim if i can find the bloody screenshot hang on a second uh, okay so Rohit sharma said and this is i'm quoting verbatim from Crick buzz okay so if if there's anything wrong with that i'm not at fault i don't know if Crick buzz has condense his speech or use their own words. So Rohit Sharma said that it was a fantastic series right from the word go. It was very exciting. A lot of the players are playing this for the first time. And I was wondering, what is he referring to? Are they playing test cricket for the first time? Are they playing the Border Gavaskar <laughs> Trophy for the first time? Are they playing cricket for the first time? And I think of all the players who played, apart from Bharat, Akshar, I can't think of anyone else who has not played a Border Gavaskar Trophy test match. That's a bizarre comment. I don't know what he means. <laughs> Isn't it? Because, you know, even Shubman Gill was there in the last series in Australia. Uh, Rahul yeah. has played a Border Gavaskar Trophy match. Kohli has played. Rohit himself has played. Uh, Shami has played. Umesh has played. Siraj has played. Right? Uh, yes, Ashwin has played. Jadeja Uta. has played. Kuldeep Pujara has played. Said. Pujara has played. Like even Kuldeep has played. Yeah. So is I don't know what he's talking the, about. Is he referring to the pitches then? Like because maybe in no, the I past you would get the occasional shocker, like um, in the recent past, but you didn't have, I don't know, three or four of those shockers in a row. I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. So I thought, uh, am I misreading something or am I not really understanding was, what he's referring was to? Was he talking of the Australians, by any chance? Some of the Australians probably. Why would he from... talk about Australians? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, anyway. So, yeah, that, that was just a little bit weird uh, that I thought, you know, I don't know what he's talking about over here. So I was just wondering if you guys could help. Clarify it with some light. See what. I have no idea. You know. Absolutely yeah. no clue. No idea here. But on a related note, what do you reckon about the World Test Championship final? Are you guys excited? Do you have any predictions as to how that's going to go? Well, the one thing I certainly hope for is that India doesn't have another brain fade and bungle up their selection like they did the last time. Because this year's World Test Championship is at Lords, isn't it? Rather yes. than the Rose Bowl. It's at the Oval. It's at the Oval. Oh, okay. The Oval is still okay. Because yeah. I think if it was at Lords, then I don't think India would have stood any chance against the Australian attack. But at no. the Oval, at least, you know, they have a reasonable chance. If, and this is a big if, if the India top order comes to the party and plays their part. Hmm. It suits Australia, though, doesn't it? I mean, because Australia's strength is fast bowling. Um, their spinners didn't do too shabby in India, of course, but their strength is fast bowling. And, yeah, it's going to... I don't know how batting-friendly the oval is, but it's going to swing, you know. It depends on how cloudy it is. And Stark yeah. is dangerous. Stark and Hazelwood in swinging conditions. Stark, Hazelwood. Yeah. But add Pat Cummins to that with his pace... 
right? And then they will come with four seamers. Cam Cameron Green, I'm assuming, will be their fourth seamer. And, you know, he's he not much so with the ball. He doesn't he, to the Australian team, Cam Green. He can he bats amazingly well. And he bowls 140s, which is surprising, you know. He gives me, like, early Jack Callis vibes because he's also a great catcher in the slips as well. And not just slips. I think he will probably be positioned gully point, that sort of region. Or at the boundary where his big bucket hands, you know, can take those big catches. From like 20 <laughs> feet high. <laughs> Seriously, man. How tall is this guy? Like, how Six tall do you have eight. to be? Yeah. I know. <laughs> now, even if he doesn't bowl, you know, like a Ambrose or Glenn McGrath, just the fact that he's able to pitch that ball within a consistent patch of turf you know, just just makes him handy enough as a fifth bowling option. Hmm. I was just reading. I was just gonna say. I was reading this funny comment on Reddit cricket, uh, where they were saying if you were gonna design the perfect all rounder in a lab, the Cam Green would would be how you would do it on paper, with, yeah, with the attributes that he possesses and like his height and pace and batting quality and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's a step up from Shane Watson because he doesn't indiscriminately use DRS for every single dismissal that he goes through. was that. step up from Mitch Marsh, too. Oh, my God. Speaking of Mitch Marsh, Mitch Marsh did play well in that first one-day international right? the other day. Yeah, but he was shocking in tests. <laughs> no, he, he's shocking. Mitch Marsh, yeah. you know who Mitch Marsh reminds me of? He reminds me of Donald Trump Jr., <laughs> like visually, he just reminds me of Donald Trump Jr. He's got that similar sort of face. This was before Don Jr. started growing a beard and look more mature. But th that's how Mitch Marsh is. He operates at a very spinal level. Uh, th there's no celebration that goes in into his thought processes at all. Like you know, he'll just go. He'll swing everything in the air because uh, you know that. Um, uh, Australia-Sri Lanka game at the Optus as well for the T20 World Cup. I, I watched that and there was some guy who played for New South Wales sitting next to me and we were having this conversation. Mm. And we spoke about how most of the balls he just hit in the air. He was lucky not to have got caught three times before he eventually got dismissed. And that, that's just how he plays the game. If it connects and it goes, great. If it doesn't, oh, well, tough luck, I tried. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, the other talking point I had was, you know, the poor adjudication processes that are in place for player of the match and player of the series. I remember a time when for player of the series, you would give the award to a member of each team. This time round, there were two player of the series in Ashwin and Jadeja. And Kohli got man of the match just because he scored six runs more than uh, Usman Khwaja did. Hmm. How is the process done anyway? I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it it's, it's all cool. a bit random, really, isn't it? There is no real yeah. process. I don't think so. No, no. Forget how. I think the first question is, who does this? Is it yeah, the match because... referee who adjudicates? Is it the uh, commentary panel who adjudicates? Who, who is it? To me, it should be the commentary panel because giving control to fans is also dangerous because they're just going to vote, you know, for their favorite player if they just do remotely better than someone else. Oh, yeah, yeah. In that so case, you, you know, Kohli think... will be player of the match even when he's not playing. <laughs> <laughs> so you would think that the commentary panel would do an objective job, but I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was bizarre to me. 
But, but yeah, in yeah. that last match, who 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 else? I mean, who deserved a man of the? I don't think anybody deserved a man of the match award. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the the guy who opened the test match, you know, uh, Prime Minister Modi ji. <laughs> hey, what about the guy who retrieved that uh, ball from the side screen? Like he was lost in the in, in the. There you the, go. Yeah, that they, that, that is a worthy candidate there for the award. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. done. So, you know, uh, from the cricket slouch, you know, it's that guy who gets player of the ma- uh, player of the match award. <laughs> no, nobody else comes even close. You know, to help with your hundred and eighties and five wicket hauls and stuff like that. Yes. Because if there is no ball, you're not going to play the game, are you? That's right. Yeah, like. <laughs> You know, like if we were playing in the, uh, you know, the building courtyards or something, if I'm annoyed at you two, I just take the ball and go away. What are you going to do? <laughs> All right. So, and from like, uh, I, I wouldn't call the Border Gavaskar Trophy exciting. To be honest, this was the first time that I have not even watched any of the matches or the highlights. And I'll put it out there because I, I just lost interest after seeing that Nagpur test match uh, photo. Yeah, I would agree. I watched it. I watched a lot of it. But compared to the last two Border Gavaskar trophies that we had in Australia, uh, especially the dramatic one where um, Pant, you know, he really shone with his batting exploits. And then there was a lot of thrilling test matches. Uh, this was quite a shocker compared to that. Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, it just goes I to mean, show you can actually have good test matches and good test series between the two countries in both the nations. But, you know, just make it an even contest. You know, there has to be an even contest between bat and ball. <laughs> so, you, know, you just can't expect one test match to be so utterly dominated by the bowlers that the batsmen don't get a chance. And even the other way around. Uh, yeah, correct. Yeah. I mean, I did manage to watch most of the matches. Uh, I, I I can't say it was exciting at all compared to uh, some of the previous editions of the Gavaskar Ball Trophy. Uh, the last test in particular, it oh my God, it reminded me of the test matches in India in the 1980s, where uh, the third inning starts only on the fifth day of the match, and, and part-time bowlers like Pujara and <laughs> and Gil come and bowl at the end to. Uh, finish off the fast, really. So that's how it used to be. Uh, if you want to know about the 1980s test matches in India, that's that's exactly how they used to be, most of them. So. Not, not just the 80s, but you look at that 2000s patch as well. And India by then, I think, had got much better. But Pakistan and Sri Lanka were still rolling out these really flat tracks where people were just scoring double hundreds as if it was, uh, you know, as easy as having breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that you know there are people who will pull you up for the quality of pitch that you roll out. Look, if if Rawalpindi and Ahmedabad 2023 can be bad pitches, so can in Indore 2023 and Nagpur 2014 or 18, whatever whenever it was. I can't remember that year now. Anyway, so Correct. while this was a much more hyped series. Um, you know, even during my time in India, so I was there in Pune, smack bang during the middle of the series, and not a lot of people were actually even talking about the cricket, which just goes to show the level of interest the general public had in the games. Uh, I, I didn't see a lot of advertisements or posters or banners or anything in Pune at all. Even though 
I think Pune wasn't hosting any games, but normally, you know, you'll have Star show these promos for the mm-hmm. series, but e- even they weren't there. And uh, comparatively, you know, what New Zealand did uh, in those two consecutive test matches, first against England and then against Sri Lanka, those were absolutely excellent test matches in terms of how close they came to a finish. And both were like last ball or last over finishes, weren't they? On day five, yeah. And then I didn't manage to watch most of that, but like I, I was following the scores on Crick Info, and I can tell you, that was damn exciting. Even just following the scores on the commentary on Crick Info. Yeah, sort of, I mean, I... No, I was just saying that it's these sort of situations where, you know, it does make the sport exciting. And, you know, not I'm not saying that every test match should go that way or will go that way if you prepare the conditions accordingly. But you give players equal, fair sporting conditions and, you know, let the players create their own theatre over there. Correct. I mean, I, I watched the climax of both those matches, actually. So I was lucky to witness the ending, uh, which was very exciting. Uh, but I mean, the Sri Lanka versus uh, New Zealand match in particular, it was such a, it was an even contest from start to finish, really. Uh, uh, I, Sri Lanka did, did so well, I would say. I mean, I was so impressed by their uh, batting as well as bowling in the first test match. Uh, you, you don't see Sri Lanka playing too much test matches these days. If you, the last time they played the test match was at home in July against Pakistan. Against Pakistan. And since then, they've not played a test match at all. So it is and coming to New Zealand uh, and playing in alien conditions and playing so well. It was so, so impressive. Uh, they got a couple of very good bowlers. Uh, I think uh, Rajita and uh, Fernando. Fernando especially, he bowled his heart out throughout the test match. Uh, and uh, he's, he's super fast and uh, very accurate and very, and, and he will bowl all day for you if you want him to. Uh, even on the field, he's so electric. He runs for everything. Uh, I think one of the uh, one of the players to look forward to in the future is uh, Asita Fernando. Uh, but, but I mean, it such I felt so sorry for Sri Lanka at the end when they couldn't uh, actually uh, at least get a draw for that uh, for their performance. Um, I think some of the things that they did wrong was I think they they were not that good at the field. Uh, uh, they dropped Kane Williamson uh, when he was in some thirties or something like that, which uh, which ultimately proved very costly for them. So, uh, so that that was my observation on that match. Even more important, given the context in which Sri Lankan cricket has been and the fact that they have struggled a lot recently, so for them to basically, you know, and it's not just one of those flash-in-the-pan sort of performances. These guys were competitive pretty much since the first day. They posted a good first-inning score. New Zealand overhauled it. The Sri Lankans fought back in the second innings. They were in a bit of a trouble. And then, uh, you know, Matthews came to the rescue. They posted a decent score. And, yeah, it was a very, very evenly fought contest. So, you know, in, in terms of, you know, what you would expect and want from a test match, you know, the ebbs, the flows, the highs and the lows, that that match had it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think henceforth all test matches should be played in New Zealand. 
<laughs> Although the second test match has been a bit of an anticlimax, wasn't it? So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. New Zealand's bossing that five eighty for four declared, and then they have just made Sri Lanka follow on. Yeah, but then Sandeep did mention on Twitter that it was because of the windy conditions that the it bowlers was, couldn't was, really yeah. have that control. They really struggled in the left. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it, it's it's hard, isn't it? Too, uh, that that's what makes away wins so so yeah. so much more important than home wins, isn't it? So uh, you have to get used to the conditions, and it's not easy to just go to New Zealand and. Uh, get used to the conditions straight away. Uh, uh, the windy conditions, which the, they're never used to uh, playing in such conditions or Sri Lanka. So, so, and so then it, it does make a huge difference when they are not used to those conditions. Yeah. Did you guys see the interesting story where um, Sri Lanka trained at this hill station cricket ground before they left for New Zealand uh, because okay. they wanted to get used to the conditions? Oh, no, nice. I didn't. But see, that, but that is what should be part of the preparation, isn't it? And it takes a more proactive coach to be able to convince the board to allow you these sort of, um, I won't say luxuries, but, you know, the preparation techniques. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, well, well done to them. And I think you need this because, as Sandeep said, New Zealand is not an easy country to get acclimatized to the weather conditions. I think, you, in a way, you, you're better off, not better off, but it's far more easier to sort of adapt to conditions in England than it is in New Zealand. Mm. England is less windy, isn't it? I think New Zealand is notoriously windy, especially Wellington. Like, it's one of the windiest cities in the world, even. Yeah, it is. yeah definitely. Hmm. So it's these sort of things. Now, before I forget, I wanted to mention one thing that uh, Jared Kimber, in one of his recent podcasts, he had Abhishek Chopra, and they were looking at the history of the Mankad. Oh, and yeah, it, is, it is one, a yeah. wonderful, wonderful episode. So if either of you guys have not listened to it, I would highly encourage you to listen to it. And if any of these odd listeners uh, have not listened to it, I would definitely encourage you all to listen to it as well. The way in which they have looked at, you know, the origin of the dismissal, when did it first start having negative connotations? And basically, when did the actual use of Mankad's name started to get associated with it and then all the morality that came along with it. It, it is an absolutely gem of an episode. So, you know, it just puts things into perspective that, you know, apart from your, um, you know, cricketing culture and the view of what's fair play and what's not, I think it makes, you know, it, it just gives people the actual factual and historical viewpoint on it. Yeah, I, I listened to that one. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh, I have to check it out now. It's the only one who hasn't. <laughs> I'll send you a link. Um, yeah, if you have got an iPhone, then sorry, I can't send you a link. But if you've got an Android <laughs> phone, I'll send you one. I've got an iPhone, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, it should be there. I think it was part yeah, I'll look of it his Reading one. I do listen one. to his podcast called regularly. His was pretty good Like when it comes to analytical content. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's the one on Red Inca. Ah. It is. It is, yes. Okay. Cheers, guys. I'll check it out. Now, um, did you want to it, move on to the West Indies South Africa series? Or because um, we have got the um, moments. Yeah. We've got that. But uh, let's talk about the World Cricket League 2. Because uh, hmm. Nepal stole the show in the last game 
and they have clinched the third spot. Look, like, you know, it's an incredible turnaround and an incredible comeback by, by Nepal. So... I think like, to put that into context, it's very important to say how little support the Nepali team gets from its own cricket board. Yes, can can is a mess. Can is a mess, you know, when it comes to organizing tournaments, when it comes to improving the infrastructure. Like, if you think BCCI is bad, you haven't seen anything. <laughs> you yeah. haven't... I think, to, in my opinion, can is even worse than Zimbabwe's cricket board, or you could say it's a close contest. Yeah, probably even worse than Pakistan cricket board and Sri Lankan cricket board combined. Yeah, I mean, at least those countries haven't organized a competition where halfway through uh, the organizers have fled the country because you know they're just a bunch of cowboy operators. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and there's just so much, so much in a mess. But anyway, so, yeah, go on. Let's just talk about the, how the turnaround. Yeah, going back to the World Cricket League. So, pretty much around 10 to 12 games ago, the general consensus was Nepal's going to miss out on the top three. And they would have to go to the qualifier playoffs, which is dangerous because, you know, you could stand a chance of losing your ODI status. And then there's funding associated with ODI status. So, uh, Nepal had been playing quite mediocrely they were losing games here and there and they look destined to finish either like you know below us or around the fifth sixth position now what happened so uae and nepal pretty much like swapped places and it was incredible to see like so uae only won three of their last 10 games and they pretty much secured defeat from the jaws of victory so not only do they lose out on the top three spot, they couldn't even overtake US. And now they ended up finishing sixth, just above PNG, who were pretty much atrocious the whole tournament. And just for listeners who are not aware of what World Cricket League 2 is, it's a competition between seven teams. Um, it's Namibia, US, Nepal, uh, UAE, Oman, and Scotland. And Scotland won the tournament and it's play, it was played over three years and 36 games. And you know what was incredible? Even on the last game, there was something riding on it. So after three years and of each team playing so many games, there was still something riding on the last game, which made the tournament more special. And to give some perspective, Nepal ended up winning 11 of their last 12 games. That's how incredible that turnaround was. Yes. And not only at home, also. It was also away as well. It also included some away games. Yeah. Because Oman was sitting pretty at the top of the pile pretty much until last year, having played something like 12 or 16 games and won most of them in the first leg itself. So, you know, they were fairly okay. But then Scotland, UAE, they started winning their games. Namibia came into the fray. And now before the last game, Namibia was sitting in third spot, but they were sweating because they didn't know which way it would go. Now, I think uh, my understanding or my reading of the game was UAE started very mediocre and you kind of thought, okay, maybe Nepal has this in the bag. And then that Asif Khan or Asif Sheikh? Asif Sheikh, I think. No, he Asif, comes Asif Khan. Asif, Asif Khan. Khan? Okay, yeah. so Asif Khan comes along. And he scores this 142 deliveries and suddenly UAE have 320 plus score. Which, which was, was still... Yeah, it was crazy, you know, because like UAE's batting had really struggled. So when they had their bad run from around 10 games ago, 
their batting had become really brittle and shocking. So there's a lot of chat about it is due to uh, Robin Singh and the coaching and the way Ahmed Raza was treated. But I'm not going to go into that, but just going to say that their batting was extremely bad. Like they got all out for under 100, even against PNG, where basically struggled the whole tournament. And they have lost the most games to PNG when PNG have basically just won games against UAE and I think the other team was USA. They won one game. So, yeah, it's shocking. And so, that that started well because, you know, Mohammed Wasim, right? He yeah. actually had a great tournament in the ILT20. So the ILT20, there was lots of associate players in action. But all the top run scoring charts and the top five bowling charts were dominated by full member players. Although in the, on the bowling side, some of the associates did quite well. But on the batting side, like the top 10 batting side, it was just Wasim and then there was Daylight um, to the next best associate player. So it was heartening like he to see him like, you know, repay that faith and then show that same form that he showed in ILT20. Uh, he was very good the last couple of games. And even then, Aravind, who's like, you know, talked about as the next best thing of UAE cricket or the next big thing of UAE cricket, he was scratchy and he was slow, but he hung around. And then it looked like they were going to go to a total of 250 or 260, as you were saying, Saga. But like then Asif Khan's crazy innings start, happened, you know, and they plundered 102 runs of the last six overs and 89 runs of the last five overs. Ow. It was crazy. That was crazy. Lami Chane for four consecutive sixes. You know, that makes me happy. Me too. <laughs> Seriously, because, you know, even though, like, Sandeep Lami Chane is touted as one of Nepal's best cricketers, the guy's attitude just frankly sucks. And mm. given what he's been alleged to have done recently, you know, I'm quite happy that he, he got thrashed. Yeah. yeah what a... made it more distasteful is... Originally, the Supreme Court, Nepal Supreme Court has said that he wasn't allowed to travel overseas. But somehow, magically, you know, um, they at the last minute when they needed the, to win those games, suddenly they changed their decision. Suddenly, some guy in the team got injured. And then Nepal wrote to ICC, oh, can we replace him? You know, he's injured. He took a blow in the shoulder, which is what we all suspect is all BS. And... But the funny part of that is, so I was listening to uh, Nick Skinner. Yeah, Nick Skinner and Nate Hayes talk about it. The chronology of events is such that they actually applied for the exemption even before this guy got sick or injured. <laughs> so, you know, they, so it just shows that they have this magical foresight where they kind of thought, oh, something is happening, you know, something is happening and we better get Lamichani in the team. So they got that permission first and then this guy got injured. <laughs> and it also like shows how poor ICC's checking processes are basically is non-existent. Like I don't even know what's the point then. Like if it can be abused mm -hmm. this way. ICC is not a proper governing organization. It's just a member's <laughs> body. You know, it's like it's like your local Lions Club, for example. Except <laughs> the Lions Club does better work. Anyways, going back to the game, I was just gonna briefly describe how Nepal's innings went. So they started poorly. They lost two wickets. And then they also lost their captain, who had been... So their captain is 20 years old, by the way. So he's one of the youngest captains going around in any cricket team. So that, that's another interesting stat. Uh, but after he got out, 
the score was 56 for 3 and it looked like that Nepal would lose and you know um, but they kept the pressure on the uh, on UAE and they kept on putting on regular partnerships and the end of the game was controversial because it was also kind of UAE's fault because they thought you know they are ahead on DLS so they were going to waste time like bowling paces, taking a lot of time between deliveries and that came back to bite them in the backside because one of their main bowlers ended up getting injured and he had to be replaced, right? And then instead of bowling a main line spinner, Wasim, who, who was the captain and he bowls like uh, part-time medium paces, he came on to bowl and he got thrashed for 20 runs, which enabled Nepal to go up on the go ahead of the DLS score. And then, you know, the light faded and then there was protestations by the UAE players, but too bad. <laughs> you had your chance and you flopped it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these regulations are very clear. The targets are given to you by your own team because they're the ones who do the calculations. You know, the empires don't do the calculations. And uh, yeah, so if you have misread them or misjudged them, then yeah, it's up to you. You know, you, you face the consequences for that. What, what I found more reassuring, not reassuring, but what I found heartening is instead of the like usually smaller associate teams, they, their success rides on one, maybe two players. Mm. And for a long time, it was the case. You know, earlier it was Paris Dogra, and uh, then some other guy ah, came Khatka, in. Khatka, you mean? Paris Khatka. Yeah, Paris Khatka, yeah. not Dogra, sorry. Paris Khatka. And then, you know, they were more reliant on either Gyanendra Malya or uh, Dipendra Singh Airi. Now they've got this bunch, this nucleus of very young players, because Kushal Bhurtel, he played well. And uh, Audel, which I just mentioned. Uh, yeah, and then Arif they have Sheikh. got that Arif Sheikh, uh, Asif Sheikh. Man, I get confused with these names sometimes. <laughs> Got Bhim Sharkey, who's a very new yeah, player as well, and he yeah, seems good. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm really happy <laughs> that they did not have to rely on Lamichane to deliver some of these wins. Correct, correct. Also, like you know, with now the identity of these teams known, like who qualified, it makes the World Cup qualified interesting as well. Because and this is for the 2023 ODI World Cup, which is happening later in India. So you've got Scotland named Oman and Nepal there already. You've got Netherlands and Zimbabwe. Uh, they are also going to be there. And then you will have two from the qualifier playoff, which is a competition between the bottom four Super Cricket World Cup League two teams and also the two qualifiers from the Challenge League, which is the level below. So it's um, Canada and... Canada and Jersey, isn't it? Jersey. Correct. Canada and Jersey. Correct. Yeah. Nepal then, basically keep up with this. They have a really good chance of getting into the main draw because you know those subcontinental conditions will suit them perfectly. And for our full member fans, you know, you could have South Africa, Sri Lanka, West Indies also in that. So you mm -hmm. know how exciting would that competition be? And it's Absolutely. a shame only two teams from that um, ten is going to end up qualifying for the World Cup, which is because of the crappy ten-team World Cup. Now remember after the World the T20 World Cup, you mentioned that the preliminary qualifying round was more exciting than the main draw. Yeah. And Absolutely. it looks like this time round is going to be the same thing again. Correct. So, you know, you I might know. as well just call it the World Cup's main draw, have all these matches together in that. You know, why have a separate qualifying round? Anyway. Yeah, I'm glad they have increased it to 14 teams for 2027, but they could do a lot better because I'm not a fan of two groups of seven either. Uh, I'm happy with what they're doing with the T20, which is, you know, again happening next year with um, 
um, 20 teams arranged in four groups of five. So that's a much better format and it echoes or follows what Rugby World Cup does as well. It has the same four group of five. Uh, five teams and it's quite exciting you know especially if you have some upsets and close games it opens up the group and it makes it uh, interesting as to who's going to end up qualifying to the next stage I mean I feel sorry for Scotland Oman and, uh, and Nepal I mean for all the hard work all they get is to play the qualifiers that's the maximum <laughs> you know what even, even the Kabaddi World Cup this year has got 16 teams Surely yeah. these guys could have expanded the Cricket World Cup to a similar 16 teams, if not more. They could even have had 15 teams, even if they don't want to go too far. Like, you know, three groups of five, 15 teams, and a Super 6 semi and final is a lot more exciting yeah. than a draw. Absolutely. Out. Absolutely. Yeah. And each match, each game has, you know, relevance and context attached to it. But they can't risk India missing out, can they? So that's why you. Yeah, but then that's India's fault, right? Yeah, any team that misses out, India, Australia, Pakistan, whoever it might be, it's it's their fault for not. I know, I know, but money people, you know, money people, they want India in. (laughs) Nah, that's that's ISIS's problem. That's basically because they have been reliant on one market, and I know. I understand that's why they're trying so hard for the US, but it's also their fault because it's not like. Indian fans stop watching if India's out. Okay, some do, but there's a lot of people still watch other cricket. Mm. So I, I don't point. get it. Yeah. yeah. And this way, you know, by encouraging other teams to come in and participate, you're getting bigger audiences. I mean, look at how passionate Nepali and Bangladeshi and Afghani cricket fans are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, these yeah. teams were probably uh, cheering on for India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka at some stage, and now they've got their own teams to cheer for. So, you know, for them, like you have now one new markets as well. Mm-hmm. Correct, absolutely. Like any good sensible business person would have realized that you know the growth of the game is where we should be focusing, so that you know we have more long-term dividends and basically uh, you know we get sustained support, even if one or two teams don't perform well. Yeah, and a bigger, bigger market for cricket and then more people watching just means that your risk is more spread. Like you have the cricket is more spread around the world. So it just makes logical sense. And I'm glad they're kind of doing it for T20. I just wish that they also do it for one day as well. But yeah, fingers crossed. Because, you know, that, that's that been the case with cricket. Like we have made always glacial progress. So... But, you know, my biggest fear is given that this Cricket World Cup League 2 has been so closely fought and, you know, it has been really exciting, they'll stop it. <laughs> They're definitely stopping the Super League, but I have heard news that they will continue with this, with Netherlands possibly joining them in the next iteration. And and then depending on, you know, who wins the qualifier playoffs and then all the T20 rankings... That will then determine who makes up like the channel final next iteration of Challenge League and Cricket World Cup League 2. Although, let's see, I'm not sure because ICC has been very opaque on this, so we have no idea about what's happening. Yeah, they always that, like that. That's so disappointing, Scry, scrapping the super, super, super League, isn't it? I mean, uh, Netherlands, uh, for the first time, they got to play the big, big teams um, in a series of one day. And now that's yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, why have awkward. rankings when you know they don't mean anything 
Mm. Yeah, and then think about it this way, even from a full member perspective, like like if you, even if you don't care about say associate cricket and you're just a passionate full member cricket watcher, having that super league gives context to like meaningless series. Like you know that you know if you're playing a three match one day series between two full member teams, that has some bearing on like how like easy it is for you to qualify for the next World Cup. I don't know. Even it just makes sense, even from that perspective, to have it. So it's quite bizarre that they're getting rid of it. Anyway, mm. that that can take a whole day. I'm just well, it's a whole other time. podcast. Yeah. yeah, I'm just mindful of the time. So let's move on. So before we move on to West Indies, South Africa, I just want to touch on the England Bangladesh series. I didn't realize until recently that Bangladesh beat England three nil in the T20s. <laughs> now, seriously, that was a big surprise to me. And you know, uh, you I, might just I, look at the result yeah. and you think England may have played, played poorly or the pitches were obviously Bangladesh's strength. But I think England was using this series to mix their player pool and sort of try to see what stuck because I, I suspect that they're using this as a, uh, you know, to generate stats <laughs> and data leading up to the World Cup later this year. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, England, they, they played a series, uh, they played about five or six all-rounders in the team, isn't it? Like, uh, for all the way from Moeen Ali to uh, uh, Sam Curran. Uh, yeah, Chris and Fox. they changed the batting order as well, didn't they? That's right, yeah. So I think they were experimenting with three twenty, But I think the more significant result was the ODI result, which England won 2-1. And that, 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 that's significant because it, nobody beats Bangladesh in Bangladesh ODIs. Even India lost. Everybody else lost. In the last five or six years, it's only England that has won twice or uh, in the ODI series versus Bangladesh. Nobody that's else a telling won. stat, isn't Which it? Which is yeah. ominous for also the coming World Cup as well, isn't it? I think England yeah. are strong favourites for that. Yeah. I mean, white ball cricket at the moment, England definitely has to be among the top two favourite teams. Yeah. Mm. And England didn't even have Root or Brooke or anybody like that. Uh, I mean, it, it makes me question, is there any need for Ben Stokes to be coming back to the ODI team? Not, <laughs> but again, and that, that's what I mean. You know, I think they're using this series just to generate that data as to yeah. who works best in which position, what does the bowling mm. look like, uh, like what combination of all-rounders do we need? Do we need two left-arm seamers? Do we need uh, an off-spinner and a leg-spinner? Uh, I mean, of course, because it's India, they'll have to play two spinners. But yeah. that, that's probably their whole purpose. It's like a, a training drill for them. Yep. Let's move on to the South Africa-West Indies one. Um, South Africa clearly dominant over there. West Indies just like didn't show up. So basically what Australia did to South Africa in Australia, uh, South Africa is doing that to West Indies in South Africa now. The surprising thing for me, though, was that West Indies actually played better than South Africa in Australia, but they couldn't quite back it up in South Africa itself. So, which tells me that South Africa, you know, however much decline that they've had in their test cricket, they're still a good dominant force at home and it's hard to beat them. It was also heartening to see Temba Bavuma batting so well. Like, you know, he's a guy that attracts so much criticism online. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Half of it from Indians, but anyway, um, it was good to see him get us finally get his second century and get some due reward. But because he's been pretty much their best batter in this for the last couple of years, and he's improving his test average, and then he also got a hundred again in the last one day. So 
So, yeah. you know, he's having a little purple patch at the moment. Demba has always been a good batter. And like his technique, the way he plays his shots, keeps it along the ground. You know, he's a very orthodox sort of style batsman. Um, but he just doesn't get the big scores, right? Like he keeps, exactly. he keeps making 30, 40 and then keep yeah, exactly. Out. So yeah. it's and, good to see him like overcome that barrier and like make the high scores more consistent. And not just test uh, matches, but pretty much since Amla's retirement, I think Temba has been one of the top two or three more consistent one-day batters for South Africa as well. Mm, yeah. Correct, correct. Uh, I think it was a battle of the uh, weak, weak batting teams, really. That's how we put it. Uh, I think South Africa, I mean, Dean Elgar plays well in South Africa. So he got a few good scores. Uh, Aiden Markram going up to the top. Was yes, a good he got thing, a hundred too. Aiden he Markram, did. I think yeah. Aiden Markram should open for South Africa. I don't think he's a middle order batsman at all. So I think that's where he belongs. Yeah, uh, and when he first started, he was opening as well. I he think was. He was yeah. And then exactly. somehow, I don't know what happened, he lost his form. Then he yeah. got out of the team, then he came back, then he was lower down the order. It's just, uh, that's right. yeah. He kind yeah. of reminds me of James Winstow. Like, he's very, uh, he looks extremely good. His technique is very great and flashy, but like he just doesn't put up the performance, at least in one day and test cricket. Like his T20 stats are great, but yeah. if he can do that sort of thing, like make hundreds, make the big scores consistently, like he, he's, he's a good prospect, you know, he's a good, good player. Yeah. First came yeah. in, he was actually stringing those scores as well. He was doing really well in the like first year or so of his career. And then I don't know what happened. He just fell by the way. Mm. And guys, what do you think about Gerald Kutsia? Uh, didn't, I didn't see him play, so I can't really comment. Uh, oh, yeah, Sandeep, you have. I think, I th yeah, I think he's pretty good. Uh, uh, but not as good as Marco Janssen. I would say Marco Janssen is much, uh, much more accomplished. Uh, uh, an all-rounder in this, so that uh, Gerald Kutsia, and uh, he did he did bowl quite well actually in the. Especially, was it the first test match? I can't remember now. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, it speaks uh, testament to that they keep producing great paces, South Africa, because yeah. Kutsia can hit 150, and that's rare in cricket, you know, depend doesn't matter which country you play. It was second test match, isn't it? It was Andrik Nortia didn't play in the first, uh, didn't play in the second match, isn't it? And yeah, he didn't play in the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, now it's good to see another, hopefully, like if he establishes himself on the scene more. Yeah. Maybe another exciting, really fast bowler. I thought West Indies bowlers bowled quite well, actually. Uh, it was the batting that was terrible. I mean... Yeah, uh, Joseph was great through the whole Al series. Joseph, yeah, Alzari Joseph was very good. And so was uh, Kemar Roach in spells and also uh, Sharon Gabriel. Uh, but the batting, I mean... If you take away Brathwaite and Chandrapal, I mean, they both of them failed this time, but that's not, I mean, the, the, how many times can they play uh, consistently? I mean, but apart from them, I mean, you've got in the middle order, you've got Raymond Reefer, uh, and then you've got Roston Chase, and then you've got uh, Kyle Myers. I mean, uh, I mean, they're all handy lower order bats with there, but they are not the middle order who can produce <laughs> consistent uh, 50s or 80s or something like that. <laughs> How can you go to a test match of this <laughs> against South Africa in South Africa with the middle order like this? I mean, you... I mean, why is Jason Holder playing at eight? You know, he probably should be at six, and maybe Reefer and 
Rostan Chase should be seven and eight. Even Da Silva should be batting high. You know, George. Yeah, De Silva. Yeah, yeah, yeah George is much better. Yeah. I think they need a proper middle ordering. They can't have these number sevens and number eights making up the middle order. To be honest. Uh, exactly. And I think what they need to do is basically identify each person's ideal batting position, stick to yeah. it, give them a few games like a consistent run before you start seeing those dividends. And I yeah. think they need to start looking at a couple of younger batters now because you know, some of these guys are getting on with the years and are not going to hang around yeah. for too long. Yeah, I mean, and you know, got, also, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Sandeep. I mean, they got players like Shibron Hetmeyer who don't want to play for Western. So all these players are there if, if they can Man, play. the guy missed his flight <laughs> twice. Can you blame him? <laughs> Uh, if you miss your flight, how bad do you feel? Can you imagine how bad he must be feeling for missing it twice? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> got to cut him some slack, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Nicholas Purin can be a part of the test team as well. I don't see why not if Raymond Reifer can play at number three. Why not Nicholas Purin play at number three? <laughs> That's also, you know, just to link this series with the England-Bangladesh uh, series, it just proves that you... Like, see, all-rounders are good, right? Like, it's good, handy to have them in your team. But yeah. you can't just stock full your team with all-rounders and expect it to work. Like, you know, England found no. that out in Bangladesh. No. And no. then same happened to West Indies. Like, all-rounders are great, but you need to balance it out with specialists. You can't yeah, have, like, you know... Because not everyone's going to be a Cam Green. Like, and high-quality all-rounders, like, that can actually be really good in both disciplines. They are an extremely rare breed. Yeah. You know, bits and pieces cricketers can only take you so far in a game. And yeah. there might be one or two games where they perform exceptionally well and will win the game for you. But that's not going to happen day in exactly. and day out. You know, it's a bit like, and I'm going to post this argument, which some might see as a bit controversial. But, you know, Ben Stokes, for all of his exploits in a couple of test matches and a couple of one-day games, is not going to consistently deliver you the runs that Joe Root does. No way. No, no way. <laughs> yeah. So, And that is why you need somebody like Joe Root in a test team and maybe even in your one-day team. Whereas, you know, you can do away without Ben Stokes and still win most of your teams as long as you have got players like Joe Root in the squad who you yeah. know that they will make those runs. They will give you that um, performance that you actually want from them. Yeah, so yeah. I mostly agree with what you said, Saga. I'll just say that Ben Stokes' case, in his case particularly, what I find is that he delivers on the in the big games, which is... Which is, which is quite rare because, you know, yes, he's not that consistent and his overall stats are good but not that great. But time and again, he stands up on the big occasions, which, which is rare, you know, and which, which these West Indian cricketers, which they haven't done. So he's somewhat of a special player in that respect, I guess. Like in that stats, respect, yeah. And that, yeah. that's what I meant, you know, that that view is going to be a little bit controversial because not many will agree with that. But mm. there will be people who would go, I'd rather have somebody who, you know, consistently delivers rather than somebody who just delivers on the big stage. You know, that, that's like saying, you know, we'll only select Ben Stokes for the major World Cup games and that's it. The rest of the year, you know, he can sit out and, <laughs> you know, just uh, twiddle his thumbs. <laughs> Hey guys, sorry to interject by the way. I got to actually run. I've got something to do. So it was amazing talking to you both. Um, catch up later sometime again. Yeah.
Yeah, we're okay. going to wrap up anyway because we're pretty much coming towards the end of it. Uh, we've covered mostly most of the points. The Australian women's team is world champion once again. Uh, I mm-hmm. think we should just write their name on the trophy for the next five <laughs> and years and there. just permanently <laughs> leave it over there. Uh, the the other interesting thing that I read today was during one of the women's uh, Premier League matches, Elise Perry bowled a ball that was clocked at 130 kilometers per hour. And wow. the RCB team went on to say that, oh, this is like the fastest ball delivered uh, delivered by a female player. But it turns out that the speed gun was uh, not working properly. Now, once that comes to light, normally you take down that post or tweet, but RCB still have not done that. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, she hasn't bowled anywhere even in the 120s even for the last yeah, couple of yeah. years. So it's and unbelievable look, it, that she touched 130. It's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> and she's a great athlete and you know she, she is wonderful. She's phenomenal, right? But I think 130 Ks per hour in women's cricket at the moment is still some way off, you know, because you need proper strength conditioning, nutrition, Mm -hmm. fitness levels, and biomechanics to fall into one place to get that. Um, Shabnam Ismail, I think, is the quickest on the clock at 128, 129, something like that. Mm -hmm. So that was that. But yeah, there's a lot more cricket coming up. Uh, We've got uh, Netherlands, Zimbabwe, Netherlands, South Africa, Afghanistan, Pakistan. So, you know, there's still plenty of cricket to come before the big IPL starts uh, later next month or middle of next month, yeah. if I'm not wrong. I think Ireland is playing a few tests. They're playing one test against Bangladesh and then they're playing in two tests in Sri Lanka. The, originally, it was supposed to be one test and two ODIs, but they got rid of the two ODIs and now it is two tests in Sri Lanka. So that's good for It's them. good because I would yeah. love to see these people play more test matches. I mean, what's the point in having testators if you're not even yeah. going to play regularly? And yeah, fine. You know, the, if India is not inviting you over, they're not coming over, that's fine. You know, there are other countries who play test matches too. Why not yeah. just arrange amongst yourselves and just get the game growing, you know, get the fan base going. Exactly. So, yeah. Anyway. So that was my little uh, rant, cover-up, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's just so much cricket. I think the Americas qualify is happening in Argentina as well. Um, there was, uh, who was this guy? You know, the Spanish head coach was on the Emerging Cricket podcast recently, and he was talking about the health of the game and the state of the game in Spain. And that just sounded really good to know that it is actually flourishing. We just don't get to see it as much because of uh, a lack of coverage in those parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. That was but, yeah, Corey yeah. Rutgers. It was actually a West Australian. Yeah, Corey Rutgers. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it, it does feel nice that there is you know, cricket is still alive and it's expanding more so than most other sports. You know, it's like this cricket case of everything, everywhere, all at once. This is the cricket's equivalent of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's in good hands and long may it continue. Yeah. Any final words, anyone? No, nothing from me, thanks. It was uh, great chatting to you guys, so really enjoyed it. Yeah, cool. Um, I think we'll probably catch up in a couple of weeks or so yeah. just to see what's what. And uh, I think because it's IPL season, it's going to be a little bit slow because, uh, you know, I'm not massively into the IPL. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I still watch the scores. I, I still yeah. keep track of the points table. 
but I don't actively watch it as much. So mostly international cricket is where I'll be focused on. But I've got a couple of chats coming up with uh, a few people. I'll keep you posted about that. Sure, look forward to it, man. As we speak, Australia are 57 for no loss in the sixth over. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think the quality of the shots that they're playing, I, I don't think there's going to be a collapse on the cards. This is no. this is Australia's game now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, look, they they are not a bad side. It's just that you know you win some, you lose some. So last game they came close to you know winning it, but uh, KL and Jareja you know put paid to their hopes. Today, because India was batting first, I think they were able to bundle it up. So this is one one area where India needs to improve. Like batting mm-hmm. first, they need to have a game plan and how to set up scores. Yeah. Um, let, let's hope that it eventually happens at some stage. Siraj is applauding here for a top edge. Man, he's a character. Anyway, well, thank you, gentlemen. No and, problems. Uh, catch up soon. Have a lovely, yeah. wonderful day, Sandeep. I know your yeah, Sunday is still you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, whatever there's left. And yeah. yep, okay. catch up soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Uh, take care. Bye, everybody. And uh, see you next time.